Hey, welcome everybody to, it is uh, what, four o'clock West Coast time in the United States. Uh, welcome to Hope For Our Times Sunday Night Live or wherever you're watching in the world. It may be Monday morning or uh, whatever time. Uh, I want to thank you for joining, joining me and I hope that you're going to be blessed tonight. Uh, we're going to start a new book tonight. We've been going through the series of the Minor Prophets. Uh, we've already looked at the book of Joel. So uh, tonight we're going to start the next book. We're going to be looking at the prophet Hosea. And uh, Hosea is actually the first book in the order of the minor prophets, but I did start with Joel first. But nevertheless, we're starting with Hosea this evening. Uh, before we get going, I also want to just ask for, I have a prayer request. Uh, if you could pray for uh, Don Stewart, his health, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, and uh, uh, so, yes, thank you very much for doing that and uh, let's get going by the way i will be taking live questions when we are done here so make sure save your questions to the end uh, so i can get to them there so with the minor prophets we're going to be starting with the prophet hosea the title of my message for this evening <clears throat> pretty straightforward it's if you think that's bad watch this you'll see how it connects here in a few minutes but if you understand the prophet hosea if you're familiar with the book at all Hosea is told by the Lord to go and marry a woman who happens to be a prostitute. So you got to put yourself in the position of a Jewish man. He's a Jewish man. He's a prophet, a religious man. He's trying to honor God in everything that he does. He's a holy man. He sets himself apart from anything that's unclean as much as he possibly can. And he's, he's going to marry this woman. So imagine, here he is, he's thinking, man, I'm going to go home to mom and dad, tell them, hey, look who, look, look who I'm going to marry. You want to make a good first impression, and, and here it is, you bring home this woman, and God tells you to marry this woman, and she's a prostitute. So you can imagine the turmoil that's going on there. God, are you sure this is from you? But I'm convinced also it wasn't just something that he knew was of the Lord, uh, because the Lord had told him to, which we're going to see the word of the Lord comes to Hosea. But I'm convinced that Hosea, he fell in love with her. God gave him a love for this woman, uh, this prostitute. And the reason why is because God is going to use his relationship with this woman. Her name's Gomer. We'll meet her in a few minutes too. He's going to use his relationship and his love for his unfaithful wife, who's committed harlotry as the Bible calls it, uh, to illustrate a real-life example, to illustrate God's relationship with the nation of Israel. He loves the nation of Israel, and yet spiritually, he says, you have committed harlotry. You have, uh, you have turned from me. You've been unfaithful to me. So we see how it plays out in the life of Hosea. And then as we watch the life of Hosea, we're only going to get into one chapter tonight. As you watch the life of Hosea, we go through the, the other chapters we're going to see all the twists and turns that it takes. And in all of it, it is God's relationship to the nation of Israel. So why did he marry such a girl? Why did God command him to marry such a girl? We're going to find out. As I mentioned, he's setting up a, a, a real-life illustration regarding his relationship, God's relationship with the nation of Israel. But also it would have been a really painful thing for this man, Hosea. He marries her. He, he knows what she is. And he does it because God's telling the truth, but he would have had a love for her at the same time. So his heart's going to be broken. He's going to be devastated. It's going to be painful. And God is using even the emotional part of Hosea to be able to connect 
with anyone who would listen to the message that Hosea has. Uh, so let's get going. And the first thing that we notice here, number one, uh, with the prophet Hosea, again, the title of the message is, If You Think That's Bad, Watch This. Uh, so the first one is, it's number one, it is the challenge to the prophet. So we come here to the challenge to the prophet. We notice verses one and two, the Bible says this, the word of the Lord came, that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. So Judah would be the southern kingdom, uh, Israel is the northern kingdom. I'll break that down for you in a few more minutes. Uh, when, the, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, here it is, go take yourself a wife of harlotry. In other words, a prostitute uh, and children of a harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. The land being Israel, the people of Israel have created, uh, they've been like a prostitute to me when it comes to the spiritual things. I loved Israel. I made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I even have uh, the Davidic covenant of the Messiah, yet Israel has turned from me. So these two verses are loaded with history. They begin to lay down the facts of what was going on in Israel and uh, give an understanding uh, for all of the prophets. Actually, when you can relate to Hosea, you go, okay, this is why you have these different prophetic books. So you can tell about Israel's past and Judah's past, but also you can tell about what's still coming in the future. But Hosea really paints the picture so you can understand all of the minor prophets and all of the major prophets. So it begins here in verse 1 and says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea. So how did the word of the Lord come to Hosea? Um, we read that with all of the prophets. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Jonah and on down the list. Uh, exactly how the word of the Lord came to Hosea, we do not know. Was it a, an audible voice like Moses when he was at the burning bush? The Bible doesn't say it. Uh, was it that still small voice like in the days of Elijah? The Bible doesn't say it. But we do know the word of the Lord came to him and he wrote the words that he was told. And as it is with all of the prophets who were faithful prophets, by the way. And this is what the Bible tells us also in the New Testament. Second Peter chapter 1, the Bible says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first. So let me stop here on this first. Look at this. We have the prophetic word. It is confirmed. Praise the Lord. You look at the different prophecies that there are in the Bible. They help us to live the way we are supposed to live. And also says here, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until that day. So we live in this world that seems to be very dark and growing darker all the time. But the prophetic word shines light. Listen, th that's why you can look at the Bible. If you look at God's prophecies, Old Testament and New Testament, as you can say, aha, I get it. I can navigate through this world. That's what the prophetic word does. It shines a light to be able to go through this world. You can look and you see this problem with the path here. You see that problem with the path there. Man, you turn on the news. We need the prophetic word. And then Peter went on to say in 2 Peter, he continues, and he says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy, get this, never came by the will of man, by, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the 
Holy Spirit. So again, what do we find with Hosea? The word of the Lord came to Hosea. He writes these things down. His life is a real life illustration of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. He's bringing, God's saying, I'm bringing judgment and here is why I am bringing judgment. So again, Peter tells us, this isn't of the will of man, the faithful prophets did my will. They spoke my will. Second Peter chapter 3 goes on and confirms this. And in Second Peter chapter 3, Peter wrote that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Uh, that's for all of us, you and me, that we would be mindful of these words that were spoken of by the holy prophets. So Hosea, and all of God's prophets are being referred to in these passages. It is God's word spoken to them, written down for us, and we would do well to heed them as a light that shines in this dark world. Listen, I'm sure you're like me. You get a lot of pushback when you talk about Jesus coming again. You talk about the prophetic word. You're saying you can look at your Bible and it makes sense. You can connect the dots and people look at you like you're crazy. Why do you even read that part of the Bible? You might have friends that are part of a church. Don't pay attention to the prophecies regarding those things. Yet, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2 says that we may be mindful of the words that were spoken of by the prophets. The, a light shining in the dark world. We need the prophetic word. God wants us to hold on to the prophetic word. Second Peter chapter 3 goes on to say that in the last days, scoffers will even come, saying where's the promise of his coming. So we have this, and we look at all of the prophets, and here specifically, we think of uh, the, the prophet Hosea. So let's connect some dots for where we are in this world, because we need the prophetic word to shine uh, for us right now. So consider these things. Um, Damon Duck writes this, One Minute to Midnight. It was the title of his latest article, just published today. By the way, you can get it on hopefourtimes.com. I'll have it published there tomorrow. Uh, but he writes this on November 3, uh, and in case you haven't noticed, I quote Damon Duck often. He's one of my favorites. On November 3, at the recent G20 summit on climate change, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, said that we are one minute to midnight for a world climate catastrophe. Listen, we're hearing a lot about this. By the, before we get to the end, uh, I'm gonna get into uh, something regarding um, Bill Gates and what he's saying right now that we need to watch out for. Crazy stuff. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, Damon Duck says, here are some recent stories that seem to indicate that the, the world is at one minute to midnight on God's prophetic clock. So again, we remember, why do we have the prophetic word? Why did God give the word, his prophetic word to Hosea? It was for them back then. And also you have the prophecies, even in Hosea, that project into the future. So Damon writes, here's, here's one of the reasons that indicate we're one minute to minute on God's prophetic clock has nothing to do with uh, the climate other than the climate change laws. But he says this, critics say the purpose of Biden's $1.7 trillion Build Back Better uh, Act is to fund the fundamental change of America, aka to weaken America for entry into the coming, uh, the coming world government. So when you start to look at things, you go, okay, we know prophetically because we have the prophetic word shining in the dark place we can see how these things connect. I was asked a question earlier today. Someone said to me, how is it that 
you, you, you have uh, somebody who's all-millennial or post-millennial, how do they look at all of the different things that are going on in the world right now and then look at their Bible and, and just ignore it and say you can't believe the prophetic word? How, how do they do that? Um, I, I said for the most part, and some of you might be all-millennial and you're watching this right now saying there's no millennial kingdom, Jesus isn't coming back, don't pay attention to the prophetic word. Uh, for the most part, my friends that are, and my acquaintances that have been all-millennial, they say it's just a coincidence that all these things are happening or I'm reading more into it or these things are just symbolic in the Bible and, and on down the list. But it really is amazing. Anyways, Damon goes on and says, last week I reported that the chairman of the Republican Study Commi uh, Committee uh, that was reviewed what is, known, uh, what, what is known about the bill up to this point said it includes 31 policy changes that will wreck America. And then he says, here's an update on November 3. It was reported that Biden's Build Back Better Act includes a government takeover of the U.S. school systems, including preschool. That is, I mean, you look at that and you go, that's a no-brainer. You look at what happened in Virginia, and you look at people who are starting to push back against school boards, and now there's threats that you're going to be a terror, you're going to be labeled as a terrorist if you, if you stand up in a school board meeting. I mean, stuff is just insane. Well, why are, they, why are these people doing it? But I think he's right, 31, 31 uh, purposeful, intense policy changes that will wreck America. That's what's part of this. He says, update two on November 5, the House passed Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, temporarily scheduled a, a vote for his $1.75 trillion uh, Build Back Better um, in an uh, act for November 15 of 2021, which I believe is tomorrow. It says, concerning famine, get this, on November 4, it was reported that natural gas is used to produce fertilizer that farmers need to increase crop yields, but the soaring price of natural gas is making the production of fertilizer too expensive. Some fertilizer producers have started shutting down their factories. The Green New Deal and supply chain crisis are adding to the problem. The reduced carbon dioxide emissions demanded by the Green New Deal fanatics are driving up the cost of fertilizer production and the supply chain crisis is making it more difficult for fertilized distributors, uh, fertilizer distributors to get the fertilizer to their vendors. The result is that food production will decline. Fertilizer and food prices will soar, and more expensive food will increase hunger and death. And then he goes on and says, uh, there's more on this. China produces almost one-third of the world's phosphate, and it has been reported that China has banned all exports of phosphates during the first half of 2022. Uh, more, uh, he says, let me add more to this, says Damon Duck. Biden could solve this by opening the oil wells he shut down and save money for every person rich poor, black, white, or whatever that buys gasoline for a vehicle, pays a utility bill, buys groceries, etc. but he will not. Then he continues and has more things to say. There's an attorney that's, that, uh, uh, that is tracking some of these things, and this is specifically, I believe, uh, connected to LifeSite News, is prepared to take legal actions um, against the government in uh, non-compliance issues. Interesting to watch all of these things taking place. He continues, says, concerning wickedness, lying, deceit, and corruption. On November 4 of 2021, it was reported that special counsel John Durham has indicated, or indicted, excuse me, a Russian analyst with ties to the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign on charges of lying about Donald Trump. One news organization suggested that the Steele dossier should be called the Clinton dossier. 
Uh, here's an update. He says on November 9, it was reported that Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, he was also Clinton's communication director and foreign policy, foreign policy advisor, was exchanging emails with the lawyer that has been indicted for lying to the FBI about President Trump and Clinton's campaign manager is now President Biden's White House national security advisor. You look at this and you go, you know, in the words of my friend Don Stewart, you can't make this stuff up, okay? Here's more. In 2018, President Trump moved the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. In 2019, Trump closed the U.S. Consulate for Palestinians in Jerusalem. Uh, President Biden promised to reopen the Palestinian consulate and seems determined to do it, even though it would be illegal and without Israeli permission. On November 6th, I've talked about this, Israeli Prime Minister Bennett even said, uh, man, I'm opposing this. Even Bennett said he's opposing this. Bennett said there's no place for an American consulate that serves the Palestinians in Jerusalem. And Lapid said, if the Americans want to open a consulate in Ramallah, we have no problem with that. But sovereignty in Jerusalem belongs to one country, Israel. And then Damon Duck, he said this, puts this, connects this dot. Jerusalem is a cup of trembling and burdensome stone for the whole world, just as the Bible says it will be during the tribulation period. So you start looking at all of these different things, and we watch the world coming together. We have the prophetic word that's given to us to what? To shine as a light in the dark place. And here with Hosea, God is using Hosea, his relationship to this prostitute that he's told to marry and have children with to help illustrate Israel at that time and a little bit of Judah at that time and also our world just before the, the judgment of the tribulation period. So that's what is going on. So you start connecting all of these dots. We have the prophetic word. By the way, let me share one more thing with you because I find this fascinating. And this comes from Agenda Weekly. And uh, this is writing in The Guardian, Heidi Peltier. And this has to do with climate change agenda for global government. Listen to this. She said, it's time to shift from the war on terror to a war on climate change. The Washington Post framed climate change as a pretext for global wealth distribution. Folks, I've been saying that. If I have enough time, I'm going to show you how in just a few minutes. Climate change brings irreversible harm to poor countries. At COP26, rich ones, countries face pressure to foot the bill. The UK Times reports the United States and China put aside diplomatic differences yesterday and pledged to take enhanced action to curb global warming in the next decade. Okay, got that? Now, here's what we really need to listen to. In an interview, climate fear-mongering Al Gore boasted that global elites now have capabilities to track emitters through 300 existing satellites, more than 11,000 ground-based, air-based, sea-based sensors, multiple internet data streams, and using artificial intelligence. So Gore's celebrating. This is great. Good old Al Gore. And he said, Al Gore said, and next year we'll have it down to the level of every single power plant, refinery, every large ship, every plane, every waste dump, and we'll have the identities of the people who are responsible, here it is, for each of those greenhouse gas emission streams. If investors or governments or civil society activists want to hold them responsible, they will have the information upon which to base their action and holding them responsible. Folks, this is, I mean, you look at this, you go, okay, he says by next year, we'll have the list of every single one of their names, those people who are causing problems for the climate. What do you think they are doing? 
And so you start looking at things. Listen, folks, again, we have the prophetic word. We need to wake up. I believe that we are already under judgment. I look at what Hosea is writing. We're going to see more of that in just a minute. And you think, wow. And I also want to tell you this, what I think is going on with the climate change narrative and these other things that are, that are uh, um, uh, taking place right now. We have people that are quitting their jobs. We have industries that are going to end up going bankrupt. You want to know what's taking place? I think, personally, this is what I think is happening. Uh, the government wants these industries to go bankrupt, these corporations to go bankrupt, so they can go in and own them. It's a great wealth transfer from private industry going over to global government. I believe that I'm right on that, and that is what is happening. It is a great wealth redistribution. It is this, this, uh, um, uh, this transfer of wealth over to the government. Think of how much the government globally, government in the U.S., and, the, and ultimately the global government is going to grow right now through everything that we see happening. I believe they want people to quit their jobs. I believe they want military troops to quit the, because you're, they're getting rid of good people. They don't want the good people in there going to stand up for right things, good police. Uh, right on down the list, they want these people to quit. Uh, sack the airline industry works well for them. So you look at this and think, wow, we live in amazing days. More on this if I have enough time to when we get to the end, or maybe I can go through some of the questions then. Okay, back to Hosea. The name Hosea means a salvation or the Lord saves. It's similar and almost identical to Joshua or Yeshua. Um, uh, Yeshua, as many of you know, is the, is the literal Hebrew name for Jesus. Uh, that would be Yeshua. According to verse 1, uh, Hosea's name is, uh, his father's name is Beery. He prophesied during the days of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of the southern kingdom, uh, known as Judah. And he also prophesied in the days of the northern kingdom during the days of Jeroboam the two, uh, second plus other short-lived kings of the northern kingdom known as Israel. Okay, so as many of you already know, Israel was a divided kingdom. So this is what happened. It divided to the north and the south. You have the ten tribes that went to the north, the two the state, and the south, the area of Judah. Now I want you to fix your mind on that map right there. You see Judah in the southern kingdom. You see Israel, the northern kingdom, also known as Judah and Samaria. Um, so here's what happened. I mentioned this last time, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail this time. So... After Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel divided. And, and uh, let me show you this. This is from 1 Kings chapter, I think it's chapter 12, is where I need to go here. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. Okay, so here's what happens. Solomon dies. And when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam, uh, he takes over the southern kingdom. And, and uh, he's young, he's a young king. And the people are complaining. Oh, well, actually, you have Jeroboam that comes from Egypt. Jeroboam hears, hey, Rehoboam's now got the kingdom. So Jeroboam, he returns from Egypt. He's in hiding from Solomon. He returns from Egypt, and he says to Rehoboam, he says, hey, here's the deal. Um, your dad, Solomon, he leveled some pretty heavy taxes on us. He was tough. It was miserable. And we really need you to do a favor for us. And we would like it if you would lighten up the load some, because it's absolutely killing us. Make it a little bit better so that the nation of Israel is a more pleasant place to live. So what does Rehoboam do? Rehoboam, who's now the king, he goes to the elders, the elders that were elders 
uh, that were working with Solomon, his dad. So they're older guys. They're like me. Uh, they're, they're older in the kingdom. And he goes to him and he says, hey, okay, you're my dad's elders. He went to you for counsel. What do you think I should do? Jeroboam and his people and the people are saying that the taxes are too high and we're, and we're too mean and with stuff like that. And so the elders, they gave Rehoboam great counsel, but he ignored it. He said, this is what you should do. Serve the people. Care for the people. If you serve them and care for them, Rehoboam, the people are going to love you. you you'll always have their vote if you just take care of them. But basically, in all seriousness, it was take care of them, treat them with kindness. It's going to go well for you. Rehoboam hears that. He doesn't like what he hears. Treat them with kindness? Serve the people? I'm not going to do that. So he goes to his friends that he grew up with. And he says, hey, buds, these old guys, they're telling me how I need to treat people nicely. I don't want to do that. What do you guys think I should do? He said, don't do that. This is what you should do. Raise the taxes. They literally say this, 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, they, they tell him, go and, uh, and tell him when they say your father, Rehoboam, when they say your father, Solomon, made our yoke heavy, but will you make it lighter on us? 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 10, Thus you shall say to them, My little finger will be thicker than my father's waist. If you think my dad was tough on you, don't come to me asking for me to lighten load. I am going to make you pay, and I'm going to make you miserable. And then he said this, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 11, And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke, my father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scourges or scorpions. You thought you had it bad with my dad? Oh, yeah, his, his little, my little finger is bigger than my dad's waist. I'm going to make you, you're, you're going to really hate it. I'm going to really levy the taxes on you. I'm going to oppress you so bad, you're going to whine and cry. And, he, and, and Rehoboam thinks this is a great idea. He got you with whips. I'm bringing scorpions against you guys. You guys are going to hate life, and I am going to own you. I'm going to oppress you. I'm going to be this government that's going to control everything. Wow. I want you to think of this. In light of today. Well, anyways, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they split. Jeroboam goes up north. I'll get back to that in a minute. He didn't like the sound of it. Okay. So, but I want you to think of this. This is what's happening right now. If you, you look what's going on today and you say, Joe Biden, this is bad with what's going on with the U.S. pipelines. You got to turn to Russia and, and uh, the Saudis for oil when we could have our own oil. Joe Biden says, you think that's bad? I'm going to close another pipeline. Yeah, that's happening. So you start looking at this going, what are you doing, Joe Biden, right? You think that's bad? I'm going to levy you. You think the mandates are bad? I'm going to levy you with more mandates. You think that's bad? I'm going to print even more trillions of dollars, and it's going to really cause inflation. And then guess what? I'm going to hire 80,000 IRS agents, and they're going to come after everybody. You think that's bad? The, the trash piling up in New York City, says de Blasio, oh yeah, I tell you what, I'll get rid of more trash workers. How's that for you? I mean, you start to see this, but you think that's bad in San Francisco? Poop on the streets? Guess what? I'm going to make it worse so there's more poop, more poop on the streets. This is, I mean, you look at the, the, you think it's bad that you don't have police? I'm going to make sure you have less police. I mean, you start looking at this. You, you don't have enough doctors? I'm going to make sure you have less doctors. You start looking at this. What are they doing? This is the same mentality that took place. You think that's bad? Watch this. Hence the title of the message. So that's what was going on here 
with Rehoboam and Jeroboam. You think that's bad? I'm going to make it even worse. And then you're really going to whine and cry. They suffered. They suffered greatly. So Jeroboam, he leaves to the north. He says, he, he wasn't a good guy anyways, believe me. Uh, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, they're both bad people. Um, so Jeroboam, he goes up to the north. Um, and you have the ten nations, the, the, the ten tribes to the north, the two tribes in Judah. And uh, he went bad. Uh, he went bad right from the start, started getting worse. And what uh, Jeroboam did up there, and I've showed you this last time, he built a temple up there. You can see it. There it is, the Temple of Dan. And um, at Dan, and that's up in the Golan Heights area, by the way. I'm sure some of you have been to Israel. I'm sure you've been there and, and seen this Temple of Dan. So uh, literally, you can walk there. I've been to that temple many times and talked about these passages in the Old Testament, what happened in 1 Kings when the kingdom split. Uh, but, but what happened was, uh, centuries before this, during the days of the judges, uh, the tribe of Dan said, we don't want to go where we're supposed to go. We're going to relocate. We don't want to have to fight against the Philistines. They're too hard a people to, to deal with. Or, and so they, they move up north. So they relocate to an easy area. They didn't want to have a war. They didn't want to have a battle. They relocate to the uh, up north where they weren't supposed to go. They didn't want the land God gave them because it was too much to fight for. So they move up north, all in, uh, um, uh, it, it, and got involved in the pagan practices, and they had departed from God, um, committed, I guess you could call it, spiritual adultery way back then. So they relocate up there to the area of the Golan Heights. It's a pretty area up there, by the way. I've been there many times. And they thought, this is wonderful. So anyways, Jeroboam, centuries later, he comes along. He says, hey, guess what? We're going to locate up there. We're going to put a temple up there. And I'm going to tell the people that they no longer need to come down into Judah anymore to sacrifice at the temple. I'm going to build a temple. They can do whatever sacrifices they want. This is going to be great. I'll build one in, in, uh, up here at Tel Dan, and I'll have the other one uh, for, uh, closer to uh, Jerusalem, so the people in that area don't have to come all the way up north. But I don't want anybody going to Jerusalem anymore. I know what, what the Old Testament says. We're not going to Jerusalem. I'm making the rules. I can tell the people, listen, I'll tell them, this is how you worship God. This is what the king said. This is how you're going to worship God. You're good with God if you do it my way. We have that coming from our government right now, don't we? You do it our way, and you're going to be right with God. Nevertheless, that's what happened in a nutshell. Now, I want to show you, I want to show you this, too. Check out this next map. I want you to see this, because this is really remarkable. Look at this map. On this map, what do you see? You see Gaza. You see the West Bank. What's the West Bank? Samaria and Judea. And then you have the Golan Heights. These areas that you look at that Israel has tension in right now, the UN calls occupied territory. God calls it his country. UN calls it occupied territory. The world is so much against Israel over those areas. Gaza, Judea, Samaria, Golan Heights. Interesting, these are the exact same territories that Israel is having problems with from the, tribe of, from the tribe of Dan, when Dan relocated up north, you have the Gaza area. Uh, nobody wanted to deal with the Philistines. They were too much of a problem. Uh, so you have the Gaza area, which is where the Philistines were located. You have the tribe of Dan up in the Golan, which where they relocated up there. Then Jeroboam goes up there and builds this temple. And then you have Judea and Samaria, these areas of the split kingdom. 
So you look at it and you go, this is remarkable. God is going to make Israel deal with that problem that Israel never dealt with in their past. You can look at it on a map and you go, this is remarkable. How else could you, could you look at this and say it's just a coincidence that here we are in the days that we live in. This is a problem. These are the areas that are a problem for the nation of Israel. They were a problem all throughout Israel's history, and God is going to have Israel deal with them. Here's the thing. God is the one who's going to get the victory, and God is going to ultimately give that victory over to Israel. Okay, that was a lot that was there. Uh, let's move on. So Jeroboam, he relocates up north. The people are worshiping. They're worshiping their false gods. They're calling it, uh, they're saying God is good with it. We have a temple up here. They're worshiping the gods of sexual immorality, prosperity. They're worshiping the gods of the environment also, by the way. Um, think of the, the pagan cultures, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the rain, uh, the desert, whatever it is, the trees. They were worshiping all these things. Not unlike today. We just don't call it that. We just call it climate laws. And, uh, and ultimately, it's, it's earth worship is where this planet is, is headed. Because uh, that's how the globalists are going to control us. But you start looking at these things with Hosea and ancient Israel and why they ended up where they were and, and the things that God says. And you go, wow, what a quinky dink. It seems we are repeating ourselves. Even our leaders are doing the same things that Rehoboam and Jeroboam are doing. Remarkable. Wow. Just absolutely remarkable. Okay. So what happens? God tells Hosea, this is a short chapter. I'll actually be done here pretty soon because the rest of it reads fast. Um, so what happens? God says in verse 2, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and marry this woman. A wife of, take a wife of harlotry. Take a wife that's a prostitute. Uh, you're going to have children of harlotry, for Israel has committed harlotry. They have uh, departed from the Lord, is what God says in verse 2. So, number one is the challenge to the prophet. Number two is the children of the prophet. Let's just read through the rest of this. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me. Verse 3, so Hosea went back and he took Gomer. That's his wife's name. Not to be confused with Gomer Pyle, if any of you are old enough to remember that program. Uh, so he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter and, said to, and God said to him, call her name Lo-Rumah, uh, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, but or, or by horses or horsemen. God is going to save Judah, is what he says here. Um, verse 8, now when she had weaned Lorumah, and uh, she conceived and bore a son. So she had a boy, a girl, and a boy. And God said, call his name Lo-Emi, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Okay, so Hosea, he marries this woman. She's a prostitute. Um, he loved her. Uh, the reason I say he loved her is because God is using Hosea as a real-life illustration. God loved Israel. And, and 
So he's using Hosea with all of the emotion and all of the pain of a husband who loves his wife and she's out cheating on him and he is just broken. He, you could say Hosea is the prophet of a broken heart. Now Hosea, a little bit more background than we're almost done. Hosea prophesied from 755 BC to 715 BC. Um, Assyria destroyed the northern kingdom, Israel, the land of Jeroboam, 722 BC. So Hosea is prophesying for what, 30, 33 years, something like that, to the northern kingdom, saying, hey, this judgment's coming, you need to repent, this judgment's coming, this judgment's coming, I married this woman, she's a real-life illustration for you to know. They ignored him, they ignored the facts, they ignored the truth of God and the prophetic word. After uh, Syria was destroyed by, um, uh, after, after Israel, the northern kingdom was destroyed by Assyria, then it's believed by many scholars that Hosea was able to relocate and prophesy in the southern kingdom uh, of Judah for the last few years of his life until 715 BC. He would have uh, overcrossed also with the days of Isaiah. Isaiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom um, about 740 to 701 BC, I think it was. So they would have crossed a little bit. They might have even known each other. Um, that is quite possible. Now, I want to say this. Uh, before we go to the end of the meaning and the meaning of their children's names is I want you to think of this with Hosea being born in the northern kingdom, um, Isaiah prophesying at that time and so forth. Uh, listen, if you have a kid, a, a young child, a grandchild, or one of your children, and you're thinking, oh, Yvay, how am I going to raise my children in this world right now? Uh, listen, no, I, I, I know me. I know how I feel about these things. Uh, but take heart, because it was in this dark, dark, dark area. There, it, was, it was a very dark time in Israel's history. Um, there was evil, uh, the, the same types of sin, sexual immorality, and all, right on down the path. There were evil courts, evil politicians, evil priests, false prophets. All, all these things were going on, yet it was in this time that Hosea raises up, Isaiah raises up. Um, Jeremiah, all of the prophets rose up. Uh, Daniel rises up. He's taken captive to Babylon during the Babylonian captivity of Judah. So it's during these different times that God still saves people. God still protects his people. Uh, but understand this also, even in those times with both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, there's these people that love God. There were some young people. Daniel was young. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been young. They're taken captive, separated from their parents. Uh, they still loved God, but even in that, uh, judgment still came. So when you look at what's going on in the world today, you look, if you're looking at America, for instance, we're watching a collapse of America. You're living in Australia, you're watching this right now. Man, my heart breaks for you. The more I see coming from Australia, and I get a lot of emails from people from Australia and New Zealand also, uh, they're just, it's just a real heartbreaker. And from Canada, so many people from Canada, uh, that write in and comment, and my heart just breaks for you guys. And, but we're watching what's happening in, in uh, this world right now. And, and um, listen, there's people that are saved in it. And the number one message we have right now is the hope of Jesus Christ. I look at it and think, uh, listen, I, so I want to cast off everything else. People need to know Jesus is coming, and Jesus is our only hope. Anyways, back to, back to where we are here. Uh, when we look at this, um, Hosea's first child he has is a boy, and uh, his name, 
God tells him, verses 3 and 5, call him Jezreel. Now, the name Jezreel means God scatters or God gathers. Uh, by the way, the name Jezreel also happens to be the Valley of Jezreel, where Deborah fought, the judge fought. Uh, it's a valley of many different battles. Um, Gideon. Um, and then it's also the place of Armageddon. So when you hear of the, the uh, Valley of Armageddon, it's actually the Valley of Jezreel. It's what the real name of the valley is. But Revelation chapter 16 calls it Arma, uh, Armageddon. But this is interesting. In verse 4, it says, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Okay, what is this all about? This is from 1 Kings chapter 21. I hope you're enjoying some of this history lesson. Um, it helps, listen, when we understand the Bible and the context, it really helps us to put it in perspective for us today. But in 1 Kings chapter 21, you have wicked king and Ahab, and uh, wicked king Ahab and murders um, uh, Jezebel, the murderous wife of his. So in 1 Kings chapter 21, you have the story where Naboth had a vineyard and Ahab wanted to purchase uh, Naboth's vineyard, and, and Naboth said, no, you can't have my vineyard. So he goes back, uh, Ahab goes back to, Ahab's the wicked king, he goes back to his wife Jezebel, says, Jezebel, oh, I'm so sad. She says, what's the matter? Oh, Ahab, what's the matter? Uh, so uh, what, what, she, what she, he goes, I wanted to buy Naboth's vineyard, and he won't sell it to me. So what, ta what happens? Jezebel says, I tell you what, I'm going to get that vineyard. So she sets up Naboth, and then she has him murdered, bloodshed, and what does she do? She says, hey, Ahab, my hubby, I just got you Naboth's vineyard. Now, God judged Ahab, and God judged Jez uh, Jezebel. In fact, Jezebel was eaten by worms. It's a gross story. I'm not going to go there right now, but it's gross. God dealt with them for the wickedness of what they did to Naboth. Nevertheless, what happened was, after that, Jehu raises up. Now, who's Jehu? Well, Jehu was the son of Jehoshaphat, also uh, known as the grandson, uh, the son of Nimshi. It was actually, Nimshi was his grandfather. But nevertheless, Jehu was the son of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king from the southern kingdom. At the same time, Aber, Ahab was a wicked king of the northern kingdom. Nevertheless, Jehu, Josephat's son went and worked for Ahab as the commander of Ahab's army. Jehu has a good dad, Jehoshaphat, but he says, I want to work for the bad guy, Ahab. I'm going to be the commander of his army. I'm going to be able to create some serious bloodshed. And that is what Jehu did. He just brings all kinds of bloodshed uh, to the people. And God says, I'm going to avenge the blood of Jehu. Jehu became king sometime after Ahab died. And he was a wicked, wicked man. He was, he was bad. Ahab was bad. Israel, the northern kingdom, never had one single good king. Every single one of them are bad. So when you read this about Jezreel and Hosea's, Hosea's son, God's, uh, uh, Hosea is prophesying during the days of Jehu king. And he's saying, listen, baby, Jehu, you're going to be judged, and Israel's going to be the northern kingdom. Ahab, your dad, or, or your, your, the king before you was bad, uh, but Jehu, you're wicked. You're a wicked man. This judgment is coming, and he names his first kid Je, uh, Jezreel. Uh, by the way, it seemed like wicked people are getting away with all kinds of things. That might seem like it today. 
God knows God is watching. Judgment day is coming. Okay, let's move on because I want to get to your questions. So then verses six and seven, he has a girl. So his first child through his wife, Gomer, is this boy. Second child is a girl. And God says, name her Lohrumah, meaning not loved, not pitied, no mercy. Um, so with ever deepening sorrow, God tells tells uh, um, Hosea, listen, this is what you're going to call her. Why? Why am I calling her that? Low means not or no. Uh, well, basically, she's not loved because she, she's not yours, uh, Hosea. This is not your child. God is using this, this birth of this little girl for an illustration for Jehu and for the nation of Israel to say, you have, you're, you're not mine. I, 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 I gave my covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and look what you have done to me. You have prostituted yourself with all these other pagan gods, the God of money, uh, the God of child sacrifice. Listen, you talk about where we are in America. If anybody thinks America is not judged just for child sacrifice alone, dude, you, you got problems. And I, and, I, and I think of this, and think of what God is saying. Listen, in, in the book of Amos, Amos is one of the other prophets, Amos chapter, right after the book of Joel, we'll be there probably after we finish Hosea. Um, in the book of Amos chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says this, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. God reveals what he's going to do through his prophets, Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets. And now in our day, we have the prophetic word and God and anybody thinks you're going to do child sacrifice, babies aborted and using body parts and make it's a it's an industry. Ugh, it's just, just it's just a horrible thing. Um, so here we have with this girl that's born, not loved, not pitied, no mercy. God is saying, you have prostituted um, yourself. You've worshipped Baal, you worship Ashtaroth, you worship the god of Molech, all these different gods. You have turned from me because you found, you decided, you build your own temple up there. You say you don't need to worship the way that God describes in the Bible. You found your own way. God was good with it. And right on down um, that list it goes. Listen, folks, I believe that we are in trouble. Um, we're in a lot of trouble. Listen to this. This is a report that just came out. This is also from Agenda Weekly. George Bar Barna and the Arizona Christian University, which I quoted before, and the Foundations of Freedom compiled a new 62-page re uh, research report entitled New Insights into the Generation of Growing Influence, Millennials in America. Millennials are those between the ages of 18 and 37. And there are 78 million. Uh, some of the findings are sad, horrifying, and indicative of a nation that has truly forgotten God. Though a majority of millennials say they have a positive opinion of Jesus, 30% of all millennials identify as LGBTQ. Worse, 39% of millennials ages 18 to 24 identify as LGBTQ. Almost 40% between the ages of 18 and 24. George Barnes says that the media made it safe and cool. 75% say they lack purpose and meaning in life. Wow. And only one-third say they believe in God, and 96% believe in 
lack a biblical worldview, 96%. So you look at where we are, you look at what schools have done, you look at what churches have done, um, it's, 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 it's a, a, a sad thing. Uh, let me just give you a couple of news headlines before we go to the end, and then I take your questions. Look at what's going on right now. This article says national internet speech regulations coming. Let me read part of this to you. Facebook, Twitter, and other big tech companies actually went, want standardized internet speech regulations. In fact, Facebook has been spending millions of dollars on ads uh, that openly call for more government regulation on speech on the internet. At first glance, it may seem odd that Facebook wants more government regulation of the tech industry, but it actually makes perfect sense. If the federal government is the one making the rules, Facebook and other big tech companies can legally censor you into oblivion without ever having to worry about any legal consequences. And then, because all other social media platforms in existence will have to follow the exact same rules, there will be nowhere else for you to turn. Uh, there won't be any free speech alternatives to Facebook and Twitter because all of those alternatives will be forced to apply the same speech standards that Facebook and Twitter uh, are applying. Uh, um, are applying Right now, Facebook and Twitter are losing millions of users to other platforms and they want this to stop. And so they are going to continue to push for national internet speech regulations that apply equally to everyone. Equally, listen folks, equally to everyone is another way of saying you're going to be completely shut out. There will be no such thing as free speech. But God is doing this. Why is God doing this? That's what we need to remember. We're being judged. We are being judged. You look what's happening to young people. 96% don't have a biblical worldview. They say 75% lack meaning and purpose in life. Uh, <laughs> And so we're going, this is where we are. We child sacrifice, worship uh, money, mammon, God of Baal, Ashtaroth, um, right on down the list. Then there's this. Uh, some of you probably saw this this past week. A Hamburg Christmas market to segregate vaccinated and unvaccinated. Why is this happening in this world? Again, I believe uh, the world is experiencing judgment and God is setting the direction that things are going to go. Uh, he, he's, he's waking us up. It's like God is screaming at us. Pay attention to what is going on because we're not there yet. The tribulation is coming. We're not in it yet, folks. People tell me all the time, we're in the tribulation. We are not in the tribulation yet. But God is trying to get our attention. And he gave us the prophetic word to shine as a light so we could understand the world that we live in. Then you look at something like this. Look at this one. Pfizer CEO Borla said people who spread misinformation on the vaccines are criminals. In other words, let's bring criminal charges to people who say, I'm not going to take that thing, right? I can't say much more on that. Or I'll be in trouble. Uh, let's move on. Look at this. I mentioned this earlier in the program. Yahoo News. Bill Gates warns of smallpox terror attacks and urges leaders to use germ games to prepare. Okay, let's stop about, think about this for just a second. Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates were part of the Event 201 in October of 2019 when they did a germ game to prepare for a coronavirus. What should you do? You go through all the lockdowns we've been going through. Bill Gates. Now Bill Gates says he warns of smallpox, terror attacks, and urges leaders to use germ games to prepare. I'm thinking this is, he, he's telegraphing. You know what telegraphing is? Like a boxer telegraphs where they're going to punch 
by certain moves they make instead of just learning how to punch. So Bill Gates telegraphs. That's what he does. So we can know where he's going. Klaus Schwab telegraphs. These globalists are telegraphing. The problem is too many people are just believing them instead of reading their Bible that would shine as a light in a dark place. Interesting. And then here's another one. So are we going to have another germ game to prepare for smallpox? Is there already one going on? Hmm. Kind of makes me wonder. Should make you wonder too. Here's this great reset watch. A cashless society is coming. If you study Bible prophecy, that is not rocket science. You know what's coming. You've been hearing this for a long time. You read it in your Bible. You know it's got to come. How else are you going to come to a place of the mark of the beast where no one can buy or sell unless they receive uh, the mark of the beast and worship his image? So we know that that is coming. We also know the cashless society has to come in order to control the people. Uh, got to control businesses, got to control uh, how much money people have, got to control the people's freedoms. Uh, these are coming. Universal basic income. These things are coming, folks. They are coming. And then there's more. So, I mean, we look at, excuse me, we look at all of these things and we think, wow, but why? Uh, listen, I personally believe, I've said this many times, I believe that Joe Biden is a judgment on America for America's sins. And I think this started a long time ago. Um, uh, but I believe, you know, I, I believe the church as a whole is pretty much at a major fault, if not the major fault in, in all of this. I'll show you why in just a second. Very last thing here. Uh, very last uh, son. So Jose had a son. Then he has a daughter, not loved. Now he has a son, a third child, Loami, not my people. God is making it very clear, you are not my people. You have completely abandoned me. You've um, turned to spiritual prostitution. You are not the people uh, that I saved. Uh, listen, or that I called. Uh, I, I want you to think of this also. Um, Hosea's wife, Gomer, she goes out at night, oh, Honey, I, I'm just going out to meet some friends at the mall. I'm just going over here. I'm going to meet these people over here. I'm going to, I'm going to go hang out for a little while. I'll be back later. Um, I love you. Bye-bye. Here's the two kids. Then she goes out. She's not going out to the mall with her friends. She doesn't do any of that. She goes out with this other guy. She's prostituting herself. She gets pregnant, has another son, not my people. God is letting Hosea know, no, Hosea, this is definitely not your kid. Understand. I know the circumstances, Hosea, not your kid. Imagine the broken heart he has. But God, again, is using it as illustrative for the nation of Israel. You prostituted yourself and rejected me. Now understand this. God is not calling judgment on a secular world. God is calling judgment on his people. And personally, I look at this, and I look at where the church is in America right now, and I see the things that are supported in the majority of churches, how many churches just flat out reject um, Bible prophecy and much of the Bible overall. Well, God doesn't really mean that. Don't talk on sin. And, and right on down that path, and you see this great apostasy that the church is part of and supporting abortion, supporting gay rights as if, well, homosexual marriage is a good thing. I mean, you hear about these things in churches, and, and it's okay, you know, um, and, and just going on down this list.
God was not judging the secular world. He was judging his people, Israel. And when I look at what's happening right now, and, and you look at the sins that are described in the Bible in the last days committed by the churches, the wickedness, the hypocrisy, the doctrines of demons, you go right on down that path, and you look what's happening in churches in America, churches in the Western world. Um, they're not, listen, God has, has revealed, he's revealed what's been going on within churches. Uh, when you look at the church of Laodicea in the last days, what do you have? A church that is lukewarm. God says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're not. I will vomit, Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The church that's spoken of in the last days is not a church that's massive and big and, and, uh, and, and it's just huge and it is, it, the, the world isn't described as a, as a world leading into the last days where there's this great big revival and all kinds of people are coming to the massive harvest at the end days. That's not what the Bible describes. Jesus says, will I even find faith on the planet when I return? Again, uh, there will be doctrines of demons that will be taught. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I've quoted this many times. The people, in other words, the church people will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're not really going to be his. So I think of lo ami, not my people, is what God says to Hosea with this, this, the, the, the last one of his children. Uh, God's saying, look, in, in the last days, the people are going to say, we know you, God. We worship you. God. I don't know you. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, many will come to me in that day and say, well, Lord, we did this in your name, and we did that in your name, and we did this in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You're, you're not my people. And I'm afraid that's where many people are in, in the church now. But this is an indictment, not against the secular world. It's an indictment against, first and foremost, against those that say they know God. Back then, it was ancient Israel, ancient Judah. Today, listen, I look, it looks like there's judgment. Judgment begins at the house of God. And then ultimately, there will be the tribulation period that is going to come. But this ends in good news, which is really good. So let me end here, and then we're going to go to the questions here in just a second. Yet, verse 10, Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. This is speaking of the millennial kingdom. And appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. This is talking about when Jesus comes back and God is going to restore Israel and Judah. Here, God's saying, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to scatter them. In the last days, I will bring them back. And then, and then in the last days, I will come back. Listen, this is great hope for us because all the prophets always have hope in there somewhere. They can, be, they can sound like doom and gloom, but when you understand in the message of hope, the doom and gloom is warning. It's saying, hey, look out. People say, I don't want that. I don't want it. It's a warning. Listen, I tell, my, you tell your kids, don't go play on the freeway. You're going to get hit by a cart. Well, that's doom and gloom. No, that's just, you, you love them, right? Hosea loved them. He loved his own wife. And you find out with all the prophets, Old Testament and New Testament, Book of Revelation, these are warnings. Jesus warns about judgment and hell and Hades, and you need to avoid that by coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have this, but the hope is Jesus is coming again. 
Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 23, he said to the religious leaders, you will not see me again until you say Hosanna, until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is fulfilled at the end of Hosea chapter 1, when the people are gathered back into the land again and they recognize Yeshua for who he is. Listen, understand this, no matter who you are in the world, no matter what your sins are, you can be forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you, what do you need to do? You need to recognize you're a sinner. You need to ask Christ to forgive you of your sin. You need to surrender your life over him. You need to turn from your sin and surrender to him. It's, a, it's an act of repentance, but it's your choice on whether or not you want to do that. So listen, I don't know why all of you are watching this. Some of you probably enjoy uh, Bible prophecy and, and going through the Bible like this. And some of you may have stumbled across this channel and you're thinking what's this crazy guy talking about i'm talking about this jesus loves you and he warns us we are going to die and we need to be forgiven of our sins and there's no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved than that of the lord jesus christ call out to him uh, jesus himself said there, there's no way anybody who comes to him i will no way cast them out the Lord Jesus Christ will forgive you, but you got to admit your sin or ask him to forgive you, repent of your sin, surrender your life to him, and he will do that. Uh, listen, let's go to questions right now. You guys, get your questions. Remember, uh, put the word QUESTION in all caps. i got enough uh, uh, times for a few minutes of questions, so uh, let's see if we can get going to them. Let me see if I need to pull up my phone here. I don't see them showing up on my screen yet. Um, I am... Uh, working, let's see, do we have them? Are they coming up? One minute, one minute. Oh, it's going to take a minute, so I'm going to have to get these off my phone while they're working on that. So go ahead and send me your questions. Question, what is wrong with Don Stewart? I am praying, listen, pray for Don, um, and, uh, and uh, just pray for his health. So we'll have an update later in the week, maybe even as early as tomorrow. Um, tomorrow I have my live pro program, by the way, um, it's going to be with Bill Salas, and we'll take your questions. It's going to be great. I always get questions that Bill Salas can answer that sometimes I cannot answer. So that's going to be really fun. Uh, that'll be tomorrow. This comes from Picky Ricky. Question. Uh, question. Uh, where did Picky Ricky go? I saw it. I lost it. Here it is. Will all of the dictatorship countries of the world follow Antichrist during the tribulation? Will the great deception bring them to agree with Antichrist? Um, that is an excellent question. Oh, okay, hey, there they are. They're on the screen. Uh, thank you, Picky Ricky. So, no, all of dictator uh, countries of the world will not. We know China won't. We know Russia won't. They're very specific. Um, so, so we know those things. We also know that Antichrist is going to have his ten kings that are going to give him authority uh, because they all have the same mind. But we know from Daniel's prophecies that three of the kings... He has to oust for whatever reason. We also know from um, when you look at uh, uh, Daniel chapter 11, for example, we know that countries like Jordan rebel against him. Uh, we know that Egypt is not supportive of him because he destroys Egypt in the process. So not everybody is going along with the Antichrist plan. The Antichrist is going to be exceptionally powerful in the Western world. Uh, I believe the United States, Canada, for example, uh, Europe especially, going to be exceptionally powerful, but he's not going to be totally powerful. His goal is going to be totally powerful. He's never going to actually achieve that. Hence, you even have the, the uh, feet of clay and iron in Daniel's 
prophecies with the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, meaning there's, it's going to be a, a kingdom that's partly strong and partly weak. We can already see that with the protests and the different challenges there already are that are out there. By the way, I want to thank you for your super chats, uh, those of you who are sending them in. We greatly appreciate them uh, because it's, it's, it's just by donations that this, this ministry runs. It's not supported by the church I pastor. They're two completely uh, separate things. So I just want to thank you guys so much because anything, uh, believe me, anything helps. Um, and thank you, Michelle, for praying for Don. Um, let's see, question, does it seem if they completely censor Christians around the world, this is from Val Halloran, uh, around the world, that there's no reason for the church to stay here? Uh, I just lost it. Where did it go? Um, uh, where did that question go? It is gone. I saw it. Okay. Okay, there it is. Uh, Val Holorn. Uh, does it seem that if they completely censor Christians around the world that there's no reason for the church to stay here? How far off could the four horsemen be? Um, well, listen, we can be completely censored, uh, but, okay, that, that's a great question, Val, because I want to say this, is I've been trying to encourage people lately when I talk with them one-on-one, -on -one, get, a, get a, a Bible, a, a written Bible. So many people are just using their apps. Listen, Bible apps, it's just a matter of time before Bible apps are eliminated. Um, but you look at Iran, you look at China, you look at different places, you get the Word of God any way that you possibly can. Uh, they have to smuggle Bibles into these places, and I am thinking that uh, that may be coming before the rapture. It's understanding that. And I'm thinking, man, stock up on Bibles, because they're going to be centering programs like this on YouTube, all pretty much social media. Uh, hence, we're really trying to build our website. We're hoping to have, we're really hoping to have a Too Hot for YouTube this Thursday. We'll see if we're able to pull that off. Uh, that will only be on my website, hopeforourtimes.com. But I, I look and go, what's going to happen? Uh, websites will eventually shut down too. Will we be raptured before the, I don't know. People, uh, People get really bothered when, when I don't say, hey, the rapture is going to be within a year. If I, I'm going to make a statement. What if the rapture is not for 50 more years? Oh, I mean, I, listen, I know how people think, uh, but if we don't know when that's going to take place. I don't know. It seems like we are so close to everything. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. I keep talking about them. It seems like we are so close to that. Um, it seems like we can watch the global government. We're watching it build. We're watching what's going on with Israel and Russia and so forth. So in my mind, it looks like we are right on the verge of everything. However, what if it is, let's say it's 10 years. Let's just go there. That's probably easier for many of you to wrap your minds around. Let's say it's not for 10 more years. What do you do? Well, we're going to continue to get censored. There's going to continue to be a very difficult place for Christians to operate freely in this world. Get the written word. You can hide the written word easier. Um, and, and uh, you know, these things, these other, all the social media things like that are going to be blocked. But in Iran, fastest growing Christian community in the world, also over in Afghanistan now, you have China is like that, parts of Africa are like that. So God grows his church in persecution. Here in America or the Western world or maybe Australia and Canada, I'm thinking Australia and Canada might be growing. I'd like to get a report out of Australia and Canada and find out if the Christian world is growing over there. It certainly doesn't appear to be in America. But um, when persecution intensifies, uh, people come to faith in Christ. And the people that are already believers are on more, more on fire. And many of you watching this are probably more on fire now than you were back in 2019, is just my guess. 
persecution purifies and, and intensifies the fire for Christ. Hence, uh, it's in the persecution that the church actually grows. So uh, that would be my answer to that. This comes from uh, Armin. Question, how does one understand the length of the tribulation? How does one get seven years from 1,260 days? 1,260 days is half of the tribulation period. You see that number given for both the first half and the second half of the tribulation period. And it's also based on a Babylonian calendar of 360 days. So the seven-year tribulation period is a sabbatical week that's taken from uh, you have the prophecies of Jeremiah and then of Daniel. So it's a seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel, a seven-year period. Uh, we know that just from how the weeks work out uh, with the, the uh, laws that were given in the past. And then also from the actual counts, 1,260 days, 1,260 days. You have also 42 months, but you have those numbers applying to both the first half of the tribulation. For example, you have the, the uh, two prophets in Jerusalem, 1,260 days, first half of the tribulation period. Then you find out, again, there's another 1,260 days until the end of the tribulation period. So right in the middle when Antichrist rises up. So it's both of those. That's only half of the um, uh, tribulation period. Okay, let's move on. Question, when Jesus steps on the mountains in Israel, is he human size or will he be big like as in giants of old? That is a great question, uh, McLeod69. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I've wondered that myself because he's going to return and then he, he, uh, um, he's going to return and he stands on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives splits in two to the north and south and then uh, running east and west comes this water that's going to flow. Uh, from the Temple Mount, uh, it's going to flow from the west to the east into the uh, Dead Sea. So is it Jesus, is he massive or is it he just, I, I don't know. Uh, but it's going to be pretty exciting to see that. Um, let's see, Paula Ann, a question. What is the purpose of this dress rehearsal of life if those who are single won't have spouses? I am not sure what that question means, Paula, uh, Paula Ann. Maybe you can clarify that a little bit more, or sometimes it's just me trying to think right off the cuff uh, what a person's question means. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, can we move on? Some more questions, please. Question, what does it mean when, when it says God shortens the days? Will it be less than 2,520 days? Uh, no, the, no, when you see when Jesus himself says, unless those days were shortened, he's referring to the tribulation is going to have its entire fulfillment. We know that the Bible gives us that. But if he didn't limit that and come back when he's going to come back, no flesh would be saved. So that's what he's referring to. The tribulation couldn't just go on and on and on. Jesus will come back exactly when he says he is going to come back. Um, and uh, it will be at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Martin Electromag, question. When we come to rule and reign with Jesus, how will there be physically enough room for all the saints and the physical population of the earth? Um, I think there's going to be lots and lots and lots of room. I've heard that the entire population of the earth could fit into the state of Texas right now. I don't know if that's true. I've never measured. I'm not a, a mathematician or anything. But when you think of the people that are saved throughout the centuries, is what I believe you're referring to, is um, when you think of that, 
then all these people saved throughout the centuries, how will they be able to fill the whole earth? Yeah, I think there will still be pockets of vacant land that's going to be on this earth too during the millennial kingdom. So I don't think having enough room for all of the people is, is going to be a problem. Um, question, this comes from Jeff. When we return with Jesus after the tribulation, what will we be doing? Hey, Jeff, if you catch my message from this morning, I gave a little bit of it. I also gave a little bit of it last Sunday morning. Uh, my message this morning was about hell, but in the first part of the message, first few minutes, I talked a little bit more about what we would be doing in the millennial kingdom. Um, and then all, we're going to be reigning as kings and, and priests with the Lord. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 teaches that. Also, Revelation chapter 20 verse 6 uh, teaches that we're going to be uh, ruling with Christ as priests. So we have both spiritual purposes and we have some type of political purposes. Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Uh, and we're going to be ruling and reigning on the millennial kingdom, in the millennial kingdom with him. And, and we're going to be given our positions in his kingdom, what we're going to be doing based upon our faithfulness to him right now. Hence, the rewards are going to be passed out. So uh, you can go back, check out that message from this morning. Also check out the one I did last Sunday morning, uh, both, of, uh, both of those, and I'll, I'll put that together for you. Um, this question, how can God remove all sorrow in heaven if some loved ones are not there? That's an excellent, uh, excellent question. Um, blue, that comes from Blue Stars. Um, how, can some, how can God remove all sorrow? Um, I don't understand how this is going to happen. But, but I do know we're going to be in the glory and presence of the Lord. And somehow God is going to do that. We're going to understand things that we were never able to understand before. And it, it, realistically, there's probably going to be some things that God is not going to uh, be uh, committing to our memory. But I, I don't know how it's going to work. And the Bible doesn't say how it's going to work. But the Bible does promise us in Revelation chapter 21, there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, um, no more uh, pain, no more death, for the former things have passed away. So somehow uh, God is going to work that out, but I do not know the answer. Uh, next question, no excuses. Question, is the Bema seat judgment before or after the marriage supper with Jesus? That is an excellent question. Okay, so I, I'm not definitive on this. Uh, I did talk a little bit about the Bema seat judgment this morning in my message too. But I, I, I'm not sure on the timing of it exactly, or the marriage supper of the Lamb. In fact, I asked Don Stewart about this just a week or so ago uh, about the marriage supper. And I asked him, where do you put it? And he says, you know, some scholars say this, some say this. I say, what do you say? You're a scholar. And he says, it's hard to say. So let me start with the marriage supper of the Lamb and then the Bema Seat judgment. So my, my guess is when we are raptured, the Bema Seat judgment will take place there for believers who are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we'll be given our rewards out at that place. Um, I don't believe the marriage supper of the Lamb happens until we return to the planet, and it'll be basically after the sheep and goat judgments, and then we'll have this massive, awesome marriage supper of the Lamb. But I don't know, because if you read it in in Revelation chapter 18 and, and uh, 19, and you're looking at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it kind of reads like, well, wait a minute. Um, the judgment happens here on the planet. Marriage supper of the Lamb happens in heaven. And then we return. I, I don't know. But 
that's the way I think it's going to be. The beam of seat judgment will be when we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be down here on earth when Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, and we're all going to be invited to it, and it's going to be totally awesome. But quite frankly, I don't know. Maybe both of them are going to be at the millennial kingdom. Maybe both of them will be in heaven, but I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think they're going to be um, for sure. Uh, I, well, I just shouldn't say for sure, but I'm, I, I lean more towards marriage supper of the Lamb being here in the millennial kingdom. Beam of seat judgment, I, I think it's going to happen before the marriage supper of the Lamb. My guess um, it's going to happen before, but, um, you know, I'm not going to be definitive on that. Um, so, and I know people that try to be, but then I can punch holes in their arguments. So, uh, you know, there's some things that we aren't going to know until we get to heaven. Um, question, Paula Ann. Okay. This, this, okay, Paul, you asked a question a few minutes ago. I'm guessing this more clarification. I'm divorced and hope I will have a spouse in the millennial kingdom. Okay, Paula, first thing I would say this. If you're a believer now, um, you're, that means you're going to be raptured. At, at the rapture, we get a new body. We get a new mind. Praise the Lord. I get both of those things. That's going to be awesome. We're going to have a body uh, that's going to be like the angels. We're not going to be angels, Jesus says, but like that, and we're not given over to marriage uh, in, in, our, in our new bodies. Um, and some people, that bothers. They say, well, I want to be married in heaven. I'm not married here. Why am I not going to be married there? We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, this is hard for some people to understand. They say, well, I have the greatest spouse in the world. I don't want to ever be separated from them and so forth. Listen, the best marriage in the world right now has problems. In heaven, the relationship that you have right now with your spouse will be better than it ever was as a husband and wife, although you're not going to be married. It's going to be different. Your relationship will be different. Don't misunderstand me, but it's going to be better. Sometimes we don't understand that. We think, well, God's going to do something different. I don't want different. How could it be better? All of a sudden, God does something. You say, wow, God, you just did things I never thought about when I was on this planet. It will be, uh, Paula, it'll be so much better than anything you ever experienced here on this earth. I, the reason I can say that is because I know the Lord, and I know that the Lord is good, and I have faith, and I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe the Bible. In fact, I wouldn't even do what I do if I didn't believe the Bible, but I trust God, and, and, and I know that God is faithful. And if God invented marriage, he's invented something even better than marriage that we're not even familiar with yet. Uh, let's move on. Next question. Uh, is there any other scripture besides Daniel, that chapter 9, verse 27, that points to a seven-year tribulation period? Uh, you have the time of Jacob's trouble. You have the different passages already talked about, the 1,260 days and the 1,260 days. You put those together, the 42 months, the 42 months, you have the seven-year, uh, you have a count of seven years. So I'm guessing is what you're asking me is about the, the number of days um, that's actually seven years. So we know from Daniel, we know from the book of Revelation, you put those things together, uh, that there you have the time frame of it. So God gives us both New Testament and Old Testament to put those things together. Um, also, perhaps you're asking uh, about how do we know there's going to be a tribulation period? Well, the Bible's pretty clear that there's going to be a tribulation period. Again, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, you have the Daniels in the book of Jeremiah, you have the statues. Uh, that, or the, the dreams that are uh, also in the book of Daniel. You put together other Old Testament prophets, and you have these prophecies that point to a tribulation period. Under, think of it this way. The book of Revelation, basically what it does, 
much of the book of Revelation, a whole lot of the book of Revelation is Old Testament prophecies put into one New Testament book. It's like the book of Revelation took out prophecies from Zechariah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these different prophetic books of the Old Testament, took out these pieces of the puzzle, put them together in one book so we can read how they all go together. So you have all these different prophecies that are in the Bible, and then you have the book of Revelation putting them together. But then you also have the words of Jesus with the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, Mark chapter 13. We have 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where God says, uh, where Paul writes to the people in Thessaloniki, or Thessalonica, and he says, hey, listen, I shouldn't have to write to you about these things. And he says, uh, but nevertheless, you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as pregnant, uh, as, as pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So we have lots of different passages in the Bible that talk about it. And then you have some specific ones like Daniel and the book of Revelation that actually give us the timing of it. And God is very specific so that we can know. Um, question, will there be a need for prayer during the millennial reign? Yes, Jane, there will be a need for prayer during uh, the millennial reign. The reason that we know this is because um, people are going to need to be saved during the millennial reign. I also, in fact, I dealt with this in much more detail this morning uh, in my message, so you can go back there. When I asked ask this question, who is it that's going to populate the planet in the millennial kingdom. So that was from my morning this message, my morning message, and it was, uh, it was titled something like, Is Hell Real or Is It Just Fake News? But you can go in there and I give details. Uh, but there's going to be people that are going to be born during the millennial kingdom. They're going to need to come to faith in Christ. They're going to need to be saved and so forth. I explain why in my morning message. Uh, my friend Don Perkins said, uh, someone asked him one time, will there be Bibles in the millennial kingdom? Yeah, there will be, because people are going to, again, need to be born, uh, and they're, uh, they're going to be born, and they're going to need to be born again, just like people uh, do now. Uh, let's see, we got any more questions coming in? Here we go. Let me get a couple more. Oh, man, it's late, isn't it? Okay, a couple, two more questions. Um, can people, okay, question, this comes from Jaron. Uh, question, can people who are already believers go through the tribulation? Okay, uh, uh, that's an excellent question. Um, uh, and then can you hold it there? Because I want to get to Sarah's question next, Sarah Rickman's question next. Okay, so can people who are already believers go through the tribulation period? Um, I, I, I believe in, in pre-tribulation rapture. So let me put it into that context. I believe we're going to be raptured, then the tribulation period begins. That's the way I see it. I believe it's pretty clear we are not appointed to wrath. Uh, again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, they will not escape, uh, is what Paul says. When they say peace and safety, they will not escape after he says uh, that uh, there will be a generation that's caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So I believe there's a pre-tribulation rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, they will not escape those who are left behind. So I, if you're a believer now, I believe we're going to be raptured. 
I do have colleagues, even some friends, that believe in pre-wrath and post and mid-trib rapture, where they're going to go through. Uh, they, they would say that the great tribulation doesn't begin until the second half, which I would agree with. Um, but the tribulation itself is seven years. I believe a rapture before the confirmation of the covenant of Daniel chapter 9. But I understand there's disagreements with that, and I'm still friends with my people, my friends, uh, people that disagree with me. And there's also people who are very intelligent. Walter Martin was one of them who believed in a post-tribulation rapture. And he said, no, we're all, everybody's going to go through the rapture and then, or through the tribulation, and the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation period. I don't believe that. So I believe pre-tribulation rapture. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If you're a believer, the tribulation will begin. I do not believe the tribulation is for the church, although people will get saved during the tribulation period. So, Jaron, there's different opinions on that. Um, the most important thing is who is Jesus Christ, is that a person is saved. This comes from Sarah. This has to be my last question because uh, we're going to need to sign out here. Um, do you think... Uh, Pastor Tom, that we will be here for the coming Climate Change Sunday. Um, the Climate Change Sunday. Okay, let me think about that. I'm not sure I'm not sure what you're referring to, Climate Change Sunday. I'm not sure if it's something I said. Was I going to give a message on a Sunday about climate change or not? Um, so a, a particular date. So I guess I can't. I can't really, I, I can't really answer that question. I, now I feel kind of bad. That was the last question. I'm not real sure what you're referencing. But uh, hey, by the way, uh, before we do sign off, I want to thank you guys. Uh, I want to thank all of the super chats on there. Thank you guys so, so, so much. They, they helped me greatly um, to be able to do the ministry. Any, any kind of a donation, as I mentioned before, this ministry is just run by donations. Thank you very much. Okay, but a couple of other things. Don't forget our website, hopeforourtimes.com. You can keep up with events. Other videos I do post. I posted some other videos on there just the other day on my recommended videos. Very worth watching. I'm going to try and do a Too Hot for YouTube video on there this week also. Again, that's HopeForOurTimes.com. We have a conference. I'm going to be teaming up with Jeff Kinley and Todd Hampson in Florida, in Orlando, Florida, at the end of January. I'm excited about that. You can go again to my website, HopeForOurTimes.com. Go to the events page and, and uh, get information there. Also, one other thing I want to thank you guys. Uh, I've been doing on Instagram on my stories. I did one the other day, and I asked for questions. And I was, I've already been able to answer some of my questions on his channel. I've got, you guys sent me some fantastic questions. You guys always have good questions. Uh, you stumped me a lot, though. I must admit that. But... Um, uh, these questions coming in, some I've been able to answer on his channel uh, and uh, also on today's Bible questions on his channel and a world news briefing and then uh, on his channel. And, and then um, I'm going to be answering some of these with Tom and James this week. It's going to be exciting. And I'm just going to answer your questions whenever I possibly can. But you guys give me so many. They're totally awesome. I love doing this. Uh, I know we're going to, I wish I could meet y'all now, but I know we're going to meet when we get to heaven. And uh, listen, until next week, may the Lord, in the words of J. Vernon McGee, may the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Uh, God bless. See ya. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.